The views expressed in our podcast do not represent the views of all sorority organizations. You might even hear different viewpoints among MJ sorority team members featured. Real Talk intends to foster open dialogue about issues we see across the country that affect real women. And beyond these thoughts and recommendations, we would ultimately refer you back to local, state, and federal authorities, as well as your own sorority's rules and policies. While we intend to keep content light and informative, there may be insurance claims discussed that involve bodily injury and personal damage of a sensitive nature. Be aware that topics may be a bit graphic and even emotionally charged. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Real Talk with MJ Sorority, the voice of sorority risk management, where we talk about the big risks, small questions, and real challenges sorority women face today. MJ Sorority is the premier insurance agency for women's sororities. We are passionate about educating and empowering our clients. We believe that striving to be unique never stops, and that by promoting safe decisions and smart risks, we can continue to create spaces for women to grow, serve, and lead. I'm Sarah. And I'm Allison. Be sure to stick around for the end of the episode where we get into what we can't stop talking about, besides sorority risk management, of course. For now, let's dive into our conversation and let's get real. Today, we are going to talk about risky activities. That is our topic. Uh, and we think it sounds it's, a little bit scandalous. It does, risky activities. Um, <laughs> but we, we think this is an important one to do early on because it gets to the heart of what we get asked about a lot and really to the heart of risk management. So, the first question which we like to ask on these episodes is why? Why do we care? What do risk activity, risky activities have to do with risk management? And this is kind of a duh, but how would you answer that, Sarah? Well, I think it's important. Obviously, risk is in the name, so this is a little bit of a softball. But I think it's important that we define risky activities. So there's a few criteria that we've used to encourage our clients to consider when it comes to risky activities. The first is the actual nature of the activity. Um, which I'll get into a little bit more in detail. And then secondly, the contractual ramifications. So it might be that the contract is making kind of, you know, a seemingly benign activity kind of shift into what we would consider risky activity. So um, Allison's gonna get into the contract ramifications here in a bit, but actual risky activities. We have a list, it's not exhaustive, but um, we keep adding to it as things or really claims yes. come in. Shocking. There's more and more risks in the world, not less and less yes. over time. That's just True. what happens. So, And, and I would add to, I, I learned early in life that if there's a rule about something or a concern with something, it's probably because things have gone wrong with it. So these aren't just things we picked out of the air and just decided one day, this is risky, but we probably had a claim or an injury or problem with it to get it on this list, right? Definitely. Um, I None of these were we just made up and thought to ourselves, this sounds risky. They were all um, added there because of claim or an incident or several claims. Or several, incidents. several claims, yes. So um, actual risky activities, I'm just gonna go through them, are ropes courses, hay rides, those kind of mud runs, color runs, zombie runs, anything along those lines, rock climbing or climbing walls, skeet shooting, paintball, um, trampoline, like bounce house type events, slip and slides, haunted attractions, mazes, like horn mazes and things, bounce houses and dunk tanks, eating contests, hamster balls, 
um, and just blanket any type of inflatables are concerning. So on their own, these activities are concerning because of the greater potential basically for injury um, to our members or guests um, because they're more physical or danger dangerous in nature. Um, but they all sound really fun, though. Yes. I mean, I, I hear that list and kind of with fresh eyes without seeing it all the time, just think, man, that stuff is all fun, though. Yes, <laughs> And it is. So, and so we're going to get into a little bit later of ways that we can still have fun, but maybe, you know, mitigate some of the risk a little bit. Um, but you don't have to take notes on all of we're going to have in our show notes, um, actual the position paper that we have on risky activities. So we're just going to kind of give a little background here. You don't have to feel like you have to write down all those activities for sure we're just here to talk through and start a conversation on why they're risky why we care why some of these things like Sarah said are just inherently dangerous but some of them might not on their own be dangerous but with a contract in specific legal language surrounding them and transfer of liability all of a sudden it is not a great activity to partake in with just all the legal ramifications attached to it so we are seeing these more and more contracts, even for some of the simplest activities. I think there are more just lawsuits in the world and companies are wising up and trying to have contracts around things to protect themselves, which makes sense. It's reasonable. We, we have contracts too. Um, but this can sometimes be unfavorable, unfavorable for you as a customer trying to put on an event um, and as, as a sorority member just trying to do an activity. So. Examples of things that we see in contracts that we see as risky, that sometimes make an event risky, even if it didn't seem like it at first, are if the service or venue that you are partaking in or wanting to purchase includes the requirement that the fraternity or sorority add the venue or service provider onto their policies and as an additional insured. That means should there be an incident, they want to look to your coverage sorority and not just their own coverage should there be an incident. And so this is, uh, I mean, like Allison said, we encourage contracts. We don't have a problem with contracts in general. It's just that um, we would rather be responsible for our own negligence, or in this case, the negligence of our clients, the sororities, and have, you know, the venue or the service provider, whomever that might be, be responsible for their negligence. But what happens when you're added, or when you're forced to add on a bounce house company as an additional insured, is you're forced to take on all the negligence that you're not even responsible for. You don't know how that a piece of equipment was stored or you know um, how it's maintained or any. You don't have any control over that, but you're asked to take responsibility for that in the event of you know someone's hurt. So exactly. that's where it becomes problematic. Because the whole point of a contract, right? And, and we may have a whole episode just on event planning contracts because we could get into a lot of nitty gritty. But the main takeaway here is the whole point of a contract is. Two parties coming together agreeing on terms and sometimes one of the parties does a better job than the other of shifting the balance of the terms like Sarah said with liability or negligence too far under the other one to where it doesn't make sense anymore to a reasonable person looking at it to say wait why is this one group taking on all of the responsibility should something go wrong it should be some shared weight and shared responsibility there. And the other thing we're seeing is just a lot more requirements that chapter members or participants in an event or activity sign waivers or releases to eliminate whoever is providing the service or the venue from any liability. Uh, we venues or waivers aren't a bad thing. Again, we could have a whole other episode on waivers, but um, that means that again, you are just continuing the venue or the service company 
is continuing to push liability away from themselves, both through the first contract, then through the waivers, um, and through all sorts of things. So this is part of why we're concerned about some of these activities is just because they are inherently dangerous. And then also on top of that, then these companies wise up and have really robust contracts that basically say we're not responsible should anything happen to anybody involved, even if we're negligent. And that's where we start to get concerned. Yes. So Allison, can you give us, can we just like rewind a little bit? For How sure. did we come to this position and why? Yeah, so again, kind of like we mentioned at the beginning, we don't just pull these out of the air and say, we think these should be on the risky list because we don't like them. Because like we said, a lot of those sound really fun to (laughs) us too, and and we've even partaken in them. But we have started to see more claims in these areas. And when there is a claim or serious injury that occurs that everyone looks around and says, hey, could this have been prevented somehow? Could this have been undertaken in a little bit safer way? Um, And especially when our clients are saying, hey, we don't want this to happen to somebody else like it happened to us or happened to our member. Um, That's where we kind of look at seeing how do we keep coverage for this? And some of it, quite frankly, comes from the insurance company too, saying, you know, if your members continue to do these things and some of these rambunctious activities rampantly, just whatever, more and more physical, more and more risky, then there's not going to be some of the same coverage available should there be an accident or something go wrong. Or the costs would go up. And so we would we always say we would rather we would prefer good risk management practices over any kind of action from the insurance company, either right. them eliminating any, you know, kind of breadth of coverage or them increasing costs for our clients. Um, instead we'd rather try good risk management first. Oh for sure. And often the way we get approached about these activities is asking not just are we allowed to do them, but are they covered? And at the end of the day, you have a very comprehensive general liability policy as one of our clients, as one of our sorority clients. And so we want to keep covering this stuff because when an accident happens, we want there to be coverage there for you if it was part of the sorority. But like Sarah said, there is an extent to which that can go. And at some point, yeah, we don't want the rug to be pulled out from under our clients saying, now we can't cover this anymore when we could have just done some preventative risk management from the start. So some of the concerning trends we've seen are that liability incidents are up 15%, member injuries are up 68%, uh, which is a big number, but again, not surprising with just people wanting to do more and more fun physical activities. And then also just economic pressures and uncertainty with healthcare has impacted both the number and the severity of liability claims. So because healthcare costs more, claims cost more. That's just part of it. All of those trends influence insurance as well and how much things cost when something goes wrong. So we, I think we can talk about all this abstractly, but we want to get into some specific examples and sort of move into our yay, nay, yes or no to some specific examples of risky activities. And I want to start this with a disclaimer that please refer back to your own organization's policies regarding approved events. So just because we say this is a better way to do something doesn't mean your organization is okay with it because with risky activities comes risk tolerance and how tolerant of you are you or is your organization of taking on some of these risks. So let's get into some examples. Okay, so, of course, not all risky activities are created equal. True. So, um, but what we kind of think about is almost like on, and this goes for really any events, but it's really obvious with risky activities. Um, It's kind of like on a continuum. 
So a ropes course, for example, is on our risky activities list. Um, so a homemade ropes course at the chapter facility. Definite nay. Mm -hmm. Do not do it. We had we had claims in this area. Um, one of our worst claims um, that we've ever had under the sorority program was actually um, a member that was injured on a, a homemade ropes course. Right. DIY is cute for your big little crafts, but not for ropes courses. <laughs> Please don't DIY do it yourself on a ropes sure. course. That's actually just a good rule for life. <laughs> no DIY ropes courses. No DIY ropes courses. <laughs> nope. Um, okay, so a better option if you want to do a ropes course would be to engage with an established company or organization that facilitates ropes courses. Um, you know, they have training, they're probably going to make the individual sign waivers. Um, even better if each individual kind of contracts individually with that ropes course, so the sorority kind of has a little extra layer of um, responsibility taking, taken out of that, and the individuals know exactly what they're getting into when they're, you know, signing off their own um, liability, you know, when they sign the contract, things along those lines. So it's still risky. It, a ropes course is risky, mm -hmm. but it's mu a much better decision, both from your own personal safety standpoint to have, you know, professionals there, but then also from the sorority standpoint to have a little extra protection. Um, you know, that company is going to have insurance. There's going to be contracts involved, probably waivers, um, a lot more oversight, et cetera. For sure. Plus, I know it can be more expensive, and that's often cost is sort of the prohibitive thing sometimes on doing things professionally. But I would rather do something professionally and less less activities, but more professional than like stringing together my own ropes course yes. in my place. It would be real pathetic. I yes. can tell you right now if yes. I tried to DIY. <laughs> but um, a professional one would be super fun. Great. Yeah. For sure. And you learn lots. For sure, lots of team building there, so we understand the motivation for sure. Bounce houses are another example. We talk about these a lot. I'm sure we even talked about it in our intro episode because it's such a great example. But uh, for bounce houses in general, I got a call about this yesterday. Are we allowed to do a bounce house? And a headquarters saying, you know, it's, it's really up to the insurance company, which kind of puts us in the position of, okay, well, let's talk about the risks and how this could be possible. Um, so the risk is setting that up on your own, on your own chapter property, just open to the public. Those are all bad things when it comes to something like a bounce house. Setting it up on your own, again, DIY, no. Um, that's a big nay for us. On your chapter property, also not our favorite because now you have even more liability when it's on your own premises. Uh, but our policy is, is set up to follow you wherever you go to. So um, that, that can be tolerated, but open to the public. Also, the more people that are just coming and going and an activity like that is open to whoever, you don't know if they've wandered off the street and if they have an injury or, or something that should prevent them from getting in that bounce house um, or on that inflatable device. Um, so th those are all red flags to us. The better option for bounce houses would be going to a well-managed facility that has various amusement activities available. So this could be, if, if your object is to bounce in some way, shape, or form, <laughs> to go to like a sky zone that has a trampoline, um, or some of these other places that again have really cool obstacle course team building type stuff, but it's organized in a facility, just like the ropes courses, you would con contract with the company individually, each person signs their own waivers, a lot more, a lot better managed. So 
with each of those steps, again, we know that there's a lot of gray in between. It could be on your chapter property, but set up by professionals who both put it together and take it down and know what they're doing. That's still better than setting it up on your own, but not quite as good um, looking at that spectrum uh, as going to another facility. Well said. The next thing we thought of was slip and slides. Slip and slides. Again, DIY, although sometimes my kids do this in the backyard, but there's only yeah. two of them. Yeah. Oh, I've seen it driving around on a sorority campus or a, a college campus, just some DIY slip and slide yes. set up. And I'm like, oh, isn't that fun? But also, I know too many things working in insurance on how that can go yes. really wrong. So, very yes. Um, so the um, definite nay would be one that especially like homemade with trash bags. Is that what? Yeah, I, I don't know. How how do you guys make your own slip and slides? I mean, I know... And <laughs> Maybe I, don't answer that. <laughs> I don't, I, we don't really want to know. Maybe you don't want to tell us. But just, again, if claims back these up. This is talking about, like, people not knowing how to put the... You, you've got to attach the slip and slide to the ground somehow, right? So using these, like, huge stakes that end up, like, in people's legs when they go off. And, like, gross, painful, terrible. Like, no one wants that to happen. It has to be, I mean, it's just not a good idea to DIY the slip and slide. It's real fun until it's not. (laughs) But you could maybe go as a group to a water park. um, Mm -hmm. Or, again, go back to, I know they have those, like, inflatable ones with water and stuff like, you know, that's set up by someone and you have oversight. Also, a lot of these things are just, you know, I love to, like, do the kids thing, but, like, you know, the slip and slides at the store are meant for small children, not yes. for, like, adult-sized people. So Right. And so, if no one's making sure that, like, 30 people aren't getting on it at once, like, right. there could be a problem. It could collapse, and now someone's hurt. And, again, what was fun is no longer fun. Yeah. We have lots of in- injuries in um, on this, you know, topic specifically. Inflatables. So. Yeah. All right, one last one, Allison. And slip aside. Um, so the last one is organized runs and walks. And you may think, why would we put organized runs and walks on here? Well, with all of these things, when you contract with professionals, you get things like city permits and permissions to be places that are safely marked. Uh, so like a more traditional 5K on paved surface it, surfaces would have all of these things. Sometimes when we put it together ourselves, um, like a mud run with an obstacle course or a zombie run, which was a thing for a while, or even color runs, it can be a little more haphazard. And if you don't have experience doing that, you're probably putting a lot of elements into play that you don't know how all of that can play out. You don't know how that obstacle you just set out set up all the ways it can go wrong if you're not a professional. So there, there again have been claims from just runs, walks, uh, events on the side of highways where people have gotten very hurt and killed just because of where they were and it wasn't set up properly. So we encourage people to steer clear of these or if they're going to do it again, look at your local, very traditional and professionally organized small races and how they do it and all the hoops that they jump through, quite frankly, to make sure that it's safe for everybody. And we would expect the same out of your events too. Also, I mean, you all are very busy people from what it sounds like. So just let the, there are people that do this for a living, you know, that run, events like zombie runs or bounce houses or ropes courses just let the professionals do it you don't need to be taking that on 
Right. Well, and, and from a like practicality standpoint, if you're doing some of these things as fundraisers or as sisterhood, if you're organizing this event, if you can contract out a lot of it, then you get to focus on the content more or the fundraising and promotion part of it rather than trying to figure out all the logistics of how to set something up that you've never set up before. So it just it makes sense all around. Hopefully it would be more beneficial to your organizations to contract out as well. Yeah, more enjoyable for you with the planner too. Oh yeah, yeah. That's detail. So um, as you can see from the examples we've kind of gone through um, in the last few minutes here, there are ways to make you know seemingly risky activities that are on that list more advantageous. So just some kind of key takeaways are the primary way to kind of lessen the risk of an activity um, is to hold it at a licensed establishment that carries adequate insurance limits and practices good risk management, um, and then also at a well-managed facility as opposed to the chapter house or somewhere on campus. So those are kind of the key takeaways when it comes to thinking through, you know, if there's something you want to do but it's on the risky activity list, are there ways that I can either hold it at a different establishment or at a well-managed facility or something like that? Yeah, and again, that's a, that's a life lesson there. You don't want to be contracting with sketchy vendors in your future for your own personal stuff that you're like, what in the world? Like, do you even have all the equipment you need? What is going on? You, you want a professionally run organization to support you and your stuff. Um, and, and you would want that in your personal endeavors, and you should want it in your sorority endeavors too. Yes, definitely. Good um, kind of life practice. So questions for you to ask yourself to determine if an activity is risky. One, does it fit into any of those categories we kind of went through at the beginning? Two, could you find a safer alternative, either through picking a different event um, or holding it at a different venue, like the kind of the examples Allison and I went through? Or could you, via the contract, structure it so that it was less onerous on the part of the sorority, basically? Um, and then lastly, could you use a liability waiver? So as Allison mentioned, we probably need to do an episode on liability waivers all by themselves. It really varies state to state how well they hold up in court, to be honest, but we think it's always a good idea just to like have the collegians or your members know that um, they're taking on some responsibility themselves. And we have templates on our website um, and kind of a whole position paper on liability waivers that we'll link to in the show notes just to kind of walk you through that process kind of the pitfalls and benefits of waivers, um, things along those lines. So be sure to check out our website for more notes on that. For sure. Our website's got tons and tons of backup on this, but if you have any questions specifically about why an activity's on the list, we're happy to answer them. Again, there was probably a claim behind it and a claim significant enough that made us say, hey, this has got to be on there. so email us at realtalk at MJ Sorority with any yes. questions or um, specifics. We might answer it in a future show. But now we get to do what we can't stop talking about. So uh, beyond some of the risk management, risky activities we talked about today, Sarah, what are some things you can't stop talking <laughs> about these days? Besides bounce houses and slip and slides? Yes. <laughs> um, so my... Uh, Family and I, we, well, actually, my husband and I went to school in South Carolina, went to college in South Carolina, and fell in love with Western North Carolina, the mountain, the Blue Ridge Mountains, um, and go down there several times a year. We love it down there, and Old Crow Medicine Show was playing at one of our favorite outdoor venues this Sunday, I guess. And so, like a month ago, he, 
texted me and he's like, oh, did you see where Old Crow's playing? And I was like, oh my God, well, we can't, like, we, we actually just got back from a vacation and my, our kids are in school. So I was like going through all the reasons why we shouldn't do it. But then I was like, oh, we have to do it. They're like in one of And we've seen Old Crow before. They're so entertaining. Everyone should see them if you get a chance, even if you don't know anything that they play. I mean, everybody knows Wagon Wheel, but... Um, so anyway, we kind of, we took the kids out of school on Friday and Monday and just went down for a long weekend and took the kids to the show and so they fun. like fell asleep in the grass. <laughs> they made it until like 10, 15, but they had so much fun and we were proud of ourselves for being spontaneous and being in one of our favorite places. And now I'm very tired. <laughs> oh, I bet. That sounds so fun. But yeah, that, how long was that drive back yesterday? Back so to Indianapolis? it was... It's eight hours, so it's like more than a thousand miles, and you know, wow. to be there for two days. <laughs> yeah, you guys could sing that five hundred miles song to the band. You yes, definitely right. did it. Did I it know, for I them. I feel like we should have gotten some kind of <laughs> award, some kind of reward, or at least shout out. Like right. who are who are the people coming the furthest right. for the show? <laughs> Something. Exactly. So fun. So what about you, Elson? What can't you? Well, speaking of music, uh, this week, the new Taylor Swift album came out. I walked into the office Friday and said, guys, it's Tay Day. And they were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's the day that Taylor releases her new album. Do I, have I gotten sucked into the Taylor Swift stuff? Yes, I have. Um, but here's why. I think it's fascinating to watch what she does from a marketing standpoint. Oh she's, gosh, she's a, a genius. genius at it. Um, and even ask point blank, I'm pretty sure she said, if I wasn't a musician, I'd be in marketing. Uh, and she's very good at it. And so I just find it fascinating to watch and just fully encompass myself in the experience of new album is releasing and all that she floods the world with when that happens. Uh, so just really interesting. Good to hear the album and pick out some of my favorite songs and ones I didn't like as much. And What's your favorite so far? Do you have to listen to the album? I always have to listen to an album, like especially from a my favorite times. people, a few times to figure out. I mean, there's always like some that, especially like pop music, that oh, yeah. stick out right at first. But. Yeah. I, I mean, it came out like five days ago. I've already listened to it about 10 times. So <laughs> casual. Casual. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a little drive in there that I, I had to listen to something. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I really like the last song on it. It's called Daylight. And I think it summarizes the whole point of the album really well. And I've heard other people say this one sounds like a conglomeration of a lot of her albums. And I think it's neat when an artist reaches that point in their career that they can pull sort of from all of their sounds and not feel like they're just trying a new trend or something yeah. like that. So yeah, I really like that one. It's also mixed by Jack Antonoff, which if you've ever listened to the band Fun or Bleachers, he does their stuff and produces a lot of cool music. So he collabs with her a lot. So I, I geek out over a lot of music, and, and so does Sarah, and we both love concerts. It's, it's always interesting to compare notes. I like to compare notes yes. with Sarah and her husband. They have good taste. So. More my husband than me. <laughs> I just follow along whatever you guys But it's fun. Away. It's fun. I love, love new music, and um, something always fun to keep up with. And I can't help but you know try to pull some practical takeaways, too, and say, what can I learn from the way that they marketed this album. It's always yeah. fascinating to me. That's yeah. True. So that's what I got. Love it. So be sure to check out our website, MJ Sorority, for any of those additional resources. Our show notes will have direct links to all the things we talked about, um, including the Tay Swift album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, As if she needs more marketing out there for her. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. So until next time, thanks for joining us. 
Thanks for joining us for Real Talk. We want to hear from you. If you have feedback, comments, or questions, send us an email at realtalk at mjsorority.com. Visit our website, mjsorority.com, to learn more about who we are, what we do, and explore our huge resource library. Check out the show notes from today's episode to dig a little deeper into the topics we discussed. This has been Real Talk with MJ Sorority. Be smart. Be safe. And we'll catch you next time.